podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside Fracas. It's your boy, Kay. I'm joined by a couple good brothers. We've got Yas here. How's it going, bro? What's going on, man? What's going on? Do you know what? I feel it's good. All good. Looking forward to the new season, which is coming earlier than expected, which I guess we need to touch on as well. But I've got a lot to get off my chest this week, as as I'm sure you will let everyone know why in a sec. And then we've got Silicon Valley's finest knee as well. How's it going, bro? <laughs> it's going good, man. I feel the background there, brother. Not so much... <laughs> Not so much the lines inside of it, but we move. So, hey man, the Hamptons five, man. Well, another week in the NBA. Not as not as busy as last week, one might say, but there's still some goings on here and there. Mostly talking about when the season's going to start. So, how do you guys feel about that going forth so far? As a fan, I'm I'm happy. Obviously, it's, it's earlier, it's quicker. Um, I think it was a, a tough one for the league to really sort out because you had some teams who. Like, like we saw Jimmy is probably still running on empty after his finals performance. And, and, the, and the late playoff games in that bubble, firstly, were, were intense. Like the Celtics-Miami series was highly contested. Celtics-Toronto was highly contested. Um, all of the Denver and the Clippers series were highly contested. Uh, Lakers got all the way through to the final. Miami gave it their all and, and the best in that final. But then on the flip side, you've got people who haven't played in... I don't even know how many months now. I don't know when the March. So we're talking like almost nine months, no basketball for teams like New York Knicks, Chicago, uh, Minnesota. So many teams who just haven't touched the ball or seen the court. So there's a real discrepancy there. And I feel like as well, as well as just health and fitness and stamina and, and getting back ready, prepped for a preseason, um, the bubble thing probably had a lot of uh, responsibility for how tired people are as well. Um, it's such a unique situation to have been in for players, for staff, to be away from family, all of that, that, uh, yeah, it's mad. And then for America to be going through what it's going through now in terms of an election, which I know politically that can exhaust people, especially when you've got those people in charge. Um, and then the COVID still not really subsiding over there the same way it has in Europe and stuff. It's, it's a lot for them. Um, but at the same time, there's a big financial element to that as well. They, uh, they've agreed now they're going to start 22nd of December. And just by the nature of getting Christmas Day in there uh, and fulfilling their TV um, agreements with the 70-game minimum and stuff, they're making 500 million to a billion more. So players' financial future is, is massive in that as well. So I think it was probably the best decision, but I think it's going to be a weird year where a lot of people have to be quite well managed and we'll see the, the back end of rosters in the regular season quite a lot. And there's uh, no fans again. So it's a funny one, man. I, I don't know. I don't know really. What, what about you, Nee? And to be honest, I mean, like, from that like, sort of like perspective, from, like a business side, it kind of needed to happen because I know that um, they lost quite a lot of money. And I know because they were like competing the ratings with the football season. I mean, I don't watch American football, but obviously it's quite a big sport there in America. And I don't think the NBA wants to compete with that. So I think they're trying to work their way around it. Getting the December games, Christmas games are always big. And then, um, yeah, like try and finish up by June or so, so that they don't compete with like, the other sporting seasons. Um, and from a player perspective, I mean, I know it's quite a quick turnaround, but um, I would imagine there's quite a few teams who'd be looking to take it a bit slower, maybe like the first 30 games anyway, 
I mean, like, to be honest, when the season starts, you see a lot of players come back on fit. Like, I mean, your kids kind of works the way that kind of works themselves into the season. A lot of players don't take like the first 15, 20 games at least that seriously. So I feel like they can work their way into that. And then they start to pick up some rhythm when it comes to like, the crunch time sort of thing. Um, and to be honest, in general, um, I think it's a good step. It's a blessing in the skies almost because I know a lot of people have been advocating for the 72-game season. And so the NBA is going to go in that direction and hopefully something they take forward because I think the regular season is kind of bloated anyway. So I think the 72 games have served them well. And maybe, and hopefully this will stay like, moving forward. So I'm pretty happy with this return. Yeah, and just touching on it real quick, like you guys said, obviously it's a quick turnaround, but it's a big season as well because a lot of guys, a lot of our stars are coming back from injury. You've got Steph and Clay coming back. You've got KD, who's coming back as well. And you've got John Wall as well. He's not really touched the court in like two years. And me, myself, I was listening to John Wall on the No Chill podcast and he said he's not been in two years. He's taken a lot of time to obviously get back into shape. He's been playing with KD and he's saying he's basically back to normal. So let's just see what happens with those two. So that's another thing there. And I think the biggest news other than that in basketball has probably been yesterday. All the NBA players going crazy on Twitter and Instagram about Joe <laughs> the president. I know LeBron with his block by James Mean went viral there. So I know they're enjoying that. So that's kind of the biggest news there. And kind of moving on to the nexus of our podcast today, which is our off-season autopsy for the Celtics. So we've got our resident Celtics fan, Yaz, here. And we'll see how he feels about that as we run through that. So running firstly... Regular season, man. How do you think that went? Before we start on that, I do want to say there's a lot of us in jo- involved in courtside fracas, and I can't help but feel like it was a bit of a fix to get a Laker fan, you know, a guy quizzing me on this. So shout out all the guys uh, who, funnily enough, couldn't make this Celtics episode. And oh, I guess the Laker has to host. And there's no rules. Yeah, there's no rules. I, I see all of you, um, the snakes, the lot of you, the pagans. I see all of you. Um, I know that Mariah and Harold and them man are definitely free. They just wanted this to happen. But yeah, it was. A, listen, it was a funny season um, with the Celtics. I think people forget because it has been so long since the last season started that we were really written off after the um, Kyrie and Horford departures. We're going back a long, long time now, but obviously last season we were tipped to be the best in the East. There's no other way to put it other than we flopped, got bounced out 4-1 by the Bucks in the second round. Kyrie went full meltdown. Chemistry wasn't right all season. You had Marcus Morris pushing Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier chatting mad all the time. Uh, stories about people not liking Hayward, people not getting on with Brown, people not liking Kyrie, Tatum not really knowing which way to go, like Brad Stevens not being able to handle any personalities. Uh, it was a mess. Um, and so then we lost who I would consider at that time the two best players at that point. So Kyrie, obviously, on his day, is potentially the best point guard in the NBA outside of Steph. Um, and then Al Horford, for all of the jokes about him, about sort of just being boring and, and that he, he's a steady player. We ran our offense for him. We um, relied on him a lot to defend people like Embiid and Giannis. He was he was exceptional. And then for him to go Philadelphia as well and tip the balance in that rivalry, um, it felt a little bit like a meltdown. Add to that Kyrie leaving at the last second, despite sort of reiterating he was going to sign earlier in the season. It felt like meltdown. Felt like mayday, mayday. So... Um, the big moves there, obviously, was we um, got a few rookies in, got Kemba Walker in straight away as a free agent, which was seen as the best thing we could have done publicly 
to replace Kyrie. We went one all-star point guard for another. Statistically, they're similar, but we'll get into how effective that was a bit later. Um, and then we were getting clowned for bringing in like Ennis Cantor and some French brother at centre to replace Al Horford. And then it was seen as a joke thing. There was even like chat that we'd fall into the bottom half of the playoff teams and everything like that. And we had a really, really strong regular season, especially considering that everybody made leaps. I think Daniel Tice, Marcus Smart played their best basketball of their careers. Um, Gordon Haywood came back to, at times, at times, arguably the best basketball he's played. And I know that's a big thing to say, but at times that was the case um, in a very different role. And then obviously Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum made big leaps after kind of disappointing second years. So... There was lots and lots of positives. Also, like chemistry-wise, like no one liked watching that that favorited team. No one liked watching them. It was Kyrie sulking, people not making the right passes, people doing bare ISO ball and hero shots and that. Watching this team just now was a lot of fun this year. Uh, the chemistry was better. The characters were better. The rookies were a lot of fun and great personalities. And like I said, our kind of two young stars made big leaps. So. Bear fun until until it derailed in the playoffs um, in a way that the more and more I thought about, the more frustrated I am by it, really. What about you, Nee? What are your thoughts on how the Celtics did so far this year, both regular season and playoffs? I think it was a solid season, to be honest. And I know that there's quite a few Celtics fans, especially that he has. obviously quite frustrated during the playoffs. I think they had a good season, a solid season. They just continued to build. And... I don't know if it's because I'm not a Celtics fan and like, I look at it from like, an outsider's point of view, but I look at the Celtics and I think they got one of the most like, solid franchises, obviously. Probably the best franchise in the league, or second maybe, depending who you're talking to. Um, and like, if you look at their roster and like, their players, like, they've always remained competitive. And like, they're always within, like, like, I don't know, that sort of like, strong contention for at least like, the last decade or so. And they got like, a really solid future. They got two of the best young players in the NBA. They got Tatum, who can probably be like an MVP caliber player one day. Um, I absolutely love that guy. And I think they had a good season where they continue to grow. Like I know there's some people who maybe think they shouldn't got they should have gotten to the finals. Maybe they maybe should have won in like maybe won it all sort of thing. But um I think they should just kind of take it slow, sort of thing, and like play the long games. I know a lot of people are about winning now, but I don't think that should be the case with the Celtics. They've got a lot to build around. They got they got a bit of wiggle room. Um, they haven't got a lot this season with the Hayward contract situation coming up but um, I think they had a good season man. and they continue to build the players get more experience they got one of the best coaches in the league it's going to be a good season for them next year again you know what Only you've said take it slow and I think that's where a lot of fans get frustrated because obviously it's all reports and we don't know what's always happening behind closed doors like apparently we've passed up on Butler in the past to hold on to Brown and Tatum apparently uh, we passed up on that Kawhi deal when he went to Toronto oh, because hey, they uh, yeah, but you get what, there was a lot on that Kawhi deal at the time of injury doubt and everything like that. So, yeah. but then in hindsight, you see what he went and done in Toronto, and it's like whatever. I don't blame them for passing up AD because AD seemed like a bona fide waste man, and he would have been a rental for the year anyway. That guy has bad vibes all around, so I'm happy with that one. That's cool. Sounds like a winner to me. Uh, he's bad vibes all around, bro. He's bad, right? See what he does when Broncos. But anyway. Yeah, like, and, and then Danny Ainge has always kept these draft picks, not really packaged draft picks. And he's, yeah. he's come back to bite us a little bit on that because last year we had um, Sacramento's pick. They had a mad 
start to the season, which kept them pretty solid. We ended up at 14, expecting yeah. like seven or eight. We really wanted Tyler Hero missed in by one spot, which I'm still, ah, oh, my days, man. Anyway, this year now, we had the Memphis pick, which everyone was like, oh, my days, that pick again, it's going to come up. And then they draft Ja Morant, who goes into all rookie, rookie of the year, fires them into a whisker away from playoffs. And now we're 14th again in a draft, which we'll get into the draft a little bit later when we talk about offseason. Yeah. But it would have been nicer just to get a bit higher again, to get a guy we really want. So those assets haven't really come to fruition like people thought they would play in that slow game. And then you say the slow game, but Brown's 20, he's turning 24 this season. Mm-hmm. He's starting his uh near max rookie extension he's on about 27 million a year roughly which is which is decent value i think to be honest yeah guaranteed yeah so it's when you look at what people like jamal murray and, and his peers are kind of making it's it's not bad value obviously it's going to be a second third option but okay look you you, you might just win a championship once in 10 years but that's enough like if you come mm. we've had three we've been eastern conference finals three times in the last four years Apart from the obviously the one that Kyrie wanted to come in and ruin and chuck um, Eastern Conference Finals every other year of the last four, and just a whisker um, threw away some Miami games, Game Seven against the Cavs uh, in Tatum's rookie year, um, and then the sort of the famous Isaiah Thomas season where where he sort of dragged us there as well. So yeah. Like there's there's only so much delaying you can take, and these opportunities don't come very often. Because I know we're going to get onto the East in general, and like you just said, John Wall saying KD's coming back, Daryl Morey isn't going to let the Sixers be a shit show forever. Um, even the, over the other side, you got Lakers strengthening, Golden State coming back, back mm-hmm. in the East again. Like you got the Milwaukee behind his question where he could go and make Miami a lot stronger or wherever yep. he decides to go. So it feels like a missed opportunity now because. We are a better side than Miami. I don't care. I know Jeff and certain man disagree. Went wrong. What would you say went wrong? <laughs> right. So this is it, right? We threw away the first two games, okay. in my opinion. We, we were the better sort of all-round team. I think we, in all the statistical categories, we pretty much led. I think over the first four games where we were 3-1 down, was it? I can't exactly remember. We'd lost by like, a combination of 12 points across four games. Like, yeah. it was such fine margins. Tatum was not great down the stretch. He's a developing player, so I'm not going to be too on his back for that. And he was outstanding in the playoffs. Um, he got a, like a, a nice little stat there. I know it's a bespoke stat, and we like those on courtside for Akka, but youngest player since Kobe to drop 25, 10, and five assists in a game seven, right? So that, now that tells you the calibre of the players. A game seven is crunch time, and he's dominating every category. Tatum was outstanding. I think Brown had moments where he was outstanding. Smashed up Philly, even though they were Simmons list okay. Toronto was a, a real grinding out series okay. And then we just didn't have that reserve by the finals, man. I think Hayward's injury was massive. And that doesn't make me uh, confident about next season if that summer situation doesn't resolve itself well. Hayward's injury was massive. Um, I think if you, if you actually look at our roster, we have our five plus smart. And then beyond that, it's, it's very, slim pickings. Very, very very it's big. slim pickings. Um, we've, got, we've got like four rookies. Uh, Ennis Cantor, who playoff-wise you're not trusting. Um, Rob Williams, <laughs> who was injured pretty much all the year. And again, Rob Williams, I really like Rob Williams, but he's, he's not quite there sharpness-wise in terms of covering assignments and everything like that. Brad Stevens is still a bit weird as a coach with some of his rotation picks. Like he, 
he's a big like character guy and rare, rare, rare with defense first character. It's all great when you win and you write all the management books about it, but actually in the in the moment you just want Rob to go catch some lobs. So I don't know, man. A lot went wrong. Um, but I think to be honest, the biggest the biggest outlier is, is uh, my guy Kemba Walker, man. Um, the only the only the only cardiac about Kemba this year was what he was doing to me. To be honest. It was it was a long as so. If we break it down. If we break it down quick, Kemba's first year for you guys, okay? So he's obviously like you said, slim pickings in the free agency class. So you thought, you know what? We need another small guard. We've lost Kyrie. Here's 103 million guaranteed. So they're giving that to Kemba. Obviously coming off a contract in Charlotte, okay? He's been in the league, I think, one to almost 10 years now, if that. I mean, he's been an All Star before. He was playing for Charlotte and it was a one man team. I mean. Jordan is the greatest player ever, but he's not really the greatest. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna. Let you, this is the thing. All star again now, but exactly. all that stuff is like it's extracurricular. And then he's been in the playoffs exactly. three times, twice with twice with Charlotte. Lasted, got swept in one, and then went to seven in the second year. That was 2014 and 16. It was his first year going past seven games, and he's made it to the finals with the Celtics. He's had a decent year, somewhat. Okay, he shot 42 from the field, 38 and 86, 20 points a game. And going to the playoffs, he's now shot 44%, 31 and 85. And that's 19.6. So a little bit of a drop-off. Well, this is the thing. And it's, and it's those threes where he needs to be justifying that contract. So mm-hmm. Toronto, to, to be fair to Kemba, Toronto's entire game plan in the conference semifinals with their box and one and everything seemed to be about nullifying Kemba um, and basically seeing if Brown and Tatum were up to it who they probably didn't bank on was the heart and soul in terms of Marcus Smart because he won a few games by himself in that series. But this is the thing with Kemba. He's, he's so small. Like, you talk about small guards and stuff, and it's like, okay, 6'1", 6'2", but if you've got some athleticism and defensive defensive about you, this guy's like 5'10", with hair. Yeah, he's, best, yeah. <laughs> he's hella small. And it's not even just the height. Like, Kyle Lowry is small, but Kyle Lowry can defend to an excellent level. Kemba looks lost a lot of the time. And you've got to think, this guy, how many years in the league? You say 11? He's been at almost almost 10 years. So almost 10 years? The guy's never had to defend in his life. He's never had to defend <laughs> in his life. Charlotte has never actually asked his guy, because he's been all that they've had. So all of their offences run through him. In terms of defence, it's just been, yeah, well, we'll hide him because it's Kemba. And without him, we don't need him wasting energy. And you could see it. Obviously, he got, he got bullied in a lot of the games um, defensively. But he would like miss his assignments. He'd miss on switches. He was struggling to take charges and time those right. Um, offensively, like you say, if those shots aren't dropping to make people kind of come out and open the floor and respect him, he's not big enough really in playoff basketball where you lock into the opposition to get to the rim like he usually does. His passing wasn't amazing because, again, it's just that height and crowding him out and double teeing him in him. Now, listen, a lot of Celtics fans are talking about his knee. Okay. Yeah. And saying there's this, there's a sort of slightly degenerative knee thing that is grasping. I'm telling you now, it's clutching because the guy. Okay, he had a knee thing throughout the season. I hear that. The guy had work done on it, came back, and in his own words, and in Brad Stevens' words, said his knee's never been better. So, one of two things is happening there. One, we need to read more into the performances than certain men are allowing. Or two, they're chatting shit to save face about a knee that's maybe more dodgy than we thought. Neither of those are good for a turning 30, five foot ten man on a max contract. But that's what I wanted to ask you because I, I was um, I was reading about Kimber's knee and then I was reading about your options because obviously you've got three draft picks. I know you've got the 
14th, 16th, and 30th. Yeah. And I just wanted to ask if you wanted to get like a backup point guard. Yeah, 100%. That 14th 100%. Pick, so, I mean, I mean, I'm going to. We want to get a big man. Nah, I think, if I'm honest, I think the big man stuff with us is is overplayed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do. I think, obviously, there's certain, certain... Okay, Lakers, it would have been a problem, but Lakers against Bam was a problem. You know what I mean? Like, you can still have a certain big man, although Bam's a smidge undersized, you can still have a certain big man, and then AD's going to be a problem, and they, they just went all in on the bigs with, with even McGee coming off and Howard contributing and LeBron being difficult to guard. Like, okay... I'd say Lakers and, and maybe Giannis are the only real difficult matchups there. But, like, I like what we tried to do. We ain't, there's no big man I can see that is, like, certain like that. And especially not up to 14 in the draft, right? So we have Cantart as the physical. Tice as the all-rounder. Who Tice is a very, very good centre. Playoffs, yes, yeah. play, there's a problem there in terms of real, real height and he get bullied. and bit undersized, yeah. bit undersized, bit into foul trouble. But Daniel Tice is had an excellent year for $5 million. And this is the other thing. You talk about people like Drummond on 30 or 28 or 29. It's like, for what? To grab the ball out of the sky. You're all right when you can get man for $5 million and balance the roster so much better. Um, and then Rob Williams is kind of what we're banking on. He's only like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, but his leap just accounts for all mm-hmm. of that. One of his best yeah. rookie performances was against Anthony Davis. So I don't think we gamble on a big man unless we can move up. Um, and I don't think a big man was our problem, really. I think Miami were bigger than us around the floor, but I don't think that was why we lost to them. I think it was just due, due to not not handling things down to stretch, in, whether it was Tatum or, or Smart not quite hitting or not quite knowing who to share the ball with, um, whether it be Kemba or Brown, because Brown was a bit underused in, in those uh, in those games. I don't think the centre stuff was a, was an issue. Bam had one elite game where he was kind of unstoppable, but Bam's going to do that. I think so did Tyler Hero. That's not a, that's not a big issue. I think our, our, our biggest issue is when Tatum or Brown are sitting, who do we go to? And Kemba, I think they give him another year to show whether he can see it out at crunch time. But if he has another year like this year where you are confident that he cannot lead your offense or your team in the postseason, then he, he's, he, he's off. Um, he's got to be off. And I think that's where we need to have a little look at bench scoring, whether that's a guard to sort of take the load off Kemba, because I think if this knee is a thing, you need to rest this season. Or just some wings out of the draft. Um, I've looked at the draft quite a lot, um, and we'll, we'll talk about that maybe a bit at the end, because I think the Hayward question leads to that and what we can do to replace him if he was to go. Um, there's some interesting guys at the draft, but I think yeah. it's a funny draft where no one really knows who's going to bang because no one's seen no one play for about a year in college, it feels like. So so I don't know. But but yeah, man, the, the guard thing is an issue. And as I've kind of said before, I was never really big on the Kemba signing. Yeah. I think it, was, it, was, um, it was optics. It was PR. It was, we've lost Kyrie. We need to get an all-star in. Kemba's available. Kemba's other option was the Knicks. So that's a no contest. He'll come to us. Um, and I, w- I wanted Brogdon or Re- Rubio, to be honest. I think, not, I'm not saying they are better players. I'm not saying that they're best at Brogdon or Rubio are better, but I'm saying... Better fits how you want the team to work. Brogdon is a better fit, 100%. And even yeah, Rubio, sure. it's like, Rubio would just be spending his time serving up Tate and Brown and Haywood, yeah. which would be your big three, right? And And if, 
if you're if you want to look at timelines, if you're banking on Tatum, maybe they were a bit worried about the leap he'd take. But if you're banking on 22-year-old Tatum, and you've got 30-year-old Walker for another three years, it's just they don't align really, does it? Um, by the time that by the time Kemba's done, Tatum's coming up for an extension near enough, and it's like, well. Does he stay then? Because no loyalty in the NBA these days, obviously. And if he's not going to win with a player of his quality, then we've got a problem, really. So, so this is the thing. A lot of people are kind of like, yeah, man, Celtics run it back. Fam, this is a big off-season for us because cause I think the, the issues against Miami aren't just going to go away because uh, everyone's a year older. Um, I don't think it's a big man thing. I think it's a bench scoring thing. And I think we need to somehow protect the obsession we have with five foot ten guards. I don't know what that's about. But um we've got three at the moment on the roster who aren't six one. Okay. So um, it's safe to say that maybe Kemba was a bit of a miss with Yaz and maybe I didn't have his best year with Jula. And that kind of segues on to the next point because if he's not going to be the leader, I think it's fair to say that the one shining light you can all say of your season has been Jason Tatum. Okay, he's had a career year in his third year in the season. His his sophomore year wasn't as good as everyone hoped it'd be. Um, didn't get as far as the players that they wanted, but this year he's kind of really taken that step. Obviously, being an all star, scoring 23 a game, and like you said, he's making nine million this year and he's due for his max extension. Like, what's next? Like, what do you think his ceiling can be for the Celtics going into the future? Uh, I want to, do you know what? It's, it's easy for Celtics fans to get a bit uh, all in on Tatum, so I'm more interested to hear what Nee has to say about it as an outsider because to be honest. There's a lot of players his age who are 30, but yeah. smaller franchises and maybe don't get their love. I think Jamal Murray showed himself this year to be unreal. I think Donovan Mitchell is unreal. Donovan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Simmons, if he got over the obvious, is unreal. Um, there's a lot of players that age who, who are really strong. So, Nee, I'm interested where you see Tatum in, in relation to all of them. Um, I would say Tatum is the best of the players that you've just named. I would say he's a top 15 NBA player right now, probably. Well, technically, all NBA third team should have been second over Siakam. Mm-hmm. That's, that's backing you. I don't know whether I agree or not. I don't know if I'm just being a fanboy. I don't know. I think that's where I go with Tatum. And I think he's got the potential to be like an MVP one day. Like, I'd put him in that, that potential bracket with Luca sort of thing. Like, he's got the world at his feet. Um, he's a good defensive player. He's athletic. Um, he can shoot. He's... he's He's worked on his shot selection so much better now. His handle has improved a lot as well. His decision makers improved. I mean, like, the only thing that you look at and you see that was lacking this year was that um, when they were playing the zone and he wasn't really attacking the zone as well as you want to. But maybe I'll put that down to experience and him being young. But I mean, that's the sort of thing that he'll grow into and we're a better one. But I mean, like last year, the year before, like, one thing I was critical of was that... He wasn't physical enough and he wasn't getting to the free throw line enough and that's improved this year. Yeah. So he just continues to take like, leaps every year and I think, yeah, he's, he's going to be like a future franchise player star if I he isn't already. That's a good point about him just like... I mean, the thing with Tatum is everything's a bit nitpicky when, I, when I'm critical. I'll keep that in mind. He is the future of our franchise by far. He was a genius uh, draft pick considering everyone wanted Markel Fultz. And we were, or Danny Ainge was savvy enough to go down to three for Tatum. Great. Um, I think you made a good point there that he needs to grow into his size a little bit. Like he's 6'8", 6'9". He's looking more athletic by the year. 
and because he's maybe even a bit slender, he's had a few bad habits at the rim. Like he, um, he is getting to the foul line a lot more now, but he still does this weird little spin move at the rim. Uh, not spin move, spin sort of technique with his layups. That, that can be frustrating because there's stuff that you reckon he should just power through and get, but he's span it, it's come out, and then he's sort of complaining to an official about a decision. That's made mainly his own only real gripe for me is that at the moment, just being a bit more physically dominant. His handle can sometimes still be a bit loose, but I, I think that will come. But yeah, great team defender, getting more and more confident, putting the team on his back uh, throughout throughout the season, really. He's got a lovely little sort of KD Harden-esque step back, side step three going on now, which is looking unstoppable when he's on form. Um, and then he was getting double teamed against Miami a lot. And you can see him grow through the series as a, as a bit of a playmaker in terms of passing out of the double teams to find the spare man and everything like that. He did, uh, did his thing when, when we needed him to, generally. And yeah, I mean, for the season, he was, he was fantastic. He was 45% from the field, 40% from free across the regular season. In terms of free throws, he was um, getting there far more likely. And then, and then in the playoffs, he was, he was fantastic as well. Yeah. So, yeah, going on from that, like, what do you guys think is, like, Jalen Brown as a running mate? Obviously, he's improved every year. Like, do you say Sealand's as a second option or would you say he's a third option for you guys and then can he improve from that? Um, I don't know what Nee thinks because Nee might come a bit harsher on Brown than he did Tatum because a few people do. He, he, yeah, he's not the most fashionable one and he's probably not, like, quite Ingram... Um, Mitchell level, Murray levels in terms of quality and stuff like that. But he's on a, a decent contract, a bit less than all those guys will be. And I think, he, look, he got booed by fans at the draft when he got picked just because they, the upside wasn't really there. He'd come off a crap college season. But down the age, gambled on the size, the physicals, the character. Um, I think, like, away from the court, he's the exact sort of guy you want in your franchise. Like, obviously, central to all the Black Lives Matter stuff. Uh, vice, one of the vice presidents of the NBPA. Um, just a really smart guy who obviously has good character and obviously is good to have in the locker room. But I've I've given up underrating him. Like every year he comes back with something new. When he got drafted, he couldn't shoot and didn't have a handle. By now he's got a solid handle, not spectacular, but a lot better, a lot better. He's really efficient from the corner. Got a little throat floater game. Shooting 46% from the corner, I believe. Yeah, like he was, he was up, in the playoffs. He was up there with like only Robinson ahead of him from the left corner, and his free throws have gone from about seventy to eighty-four in the playoffs. So he's obviously improving every year. He was unlucky really to not get in the All Star game this year. I think he was just shy of it. Um, and defensively, like he's not the same team defender as some people. He's not entirely switched on, but man to man, in terms of two-way player, you can you can mention people like. Like an Ingram and that maybe he's not an Ingram, but defensively he he can he can guard like the biggest matchups. So I think realistically, if you want to be like a title favorite, he might need to pivot into being a third option rather than a second, just because creating his own shot, as he hasn't quite cracked that, and I'm not sure if he will. Passing playmaking is not really his thing yet, if it even will be. I think he averages like two three assists. But like I said, it's, 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 it's getting almost silly to doubt him because of his year-on-year -year growth. And just like touching on what Yaz was saying, um, I would agree in that he'd probably be the best as a third option. He's definitely not the sort of guy you want to build your franchise around, but he's the sort of guy you would absolutely love to have um, in your team competing for a title. I mean, like, if I had to compare him to anyone, like they've got different playing styles, obviously, but it'd be similar to Clay Thompson. Um, he does a lot of work off the ball. 
he does the nasty work that no one really wants to always do, like the elite players anyway. And um, like defensively, like there's nice where he guards the best player in the opposing team. He will still go up the other end of the court, put up buckets. Um, he move off ball, just a really smart player and something you can't undervalue um, as a player, I think, um, especially when you draft players. As Yasser is a character. I think the character pays for a lot. Because if you think about, there's what, 15 spots in each roster, 30 teams, that's 450 players in the league. And like, to be honest, I mean, look at the players and they're all pretty much elite or very good players. It's just sometimes their situation and their own character themselves doesn't allow them to be the player that they can possibly be. But when you look at someone like Brown, who's got all the characteristics on and off the court, he's, he's just a solid player like in every sense. Like He's the sort of guy that will pick up your team. Like I know they had that argument during the playoffs between Smart and Brown, but I mean, he's the sort of guy that you would want there when you have a Marcus Smart to kind of like offset that balance, keep the team in check, keeping the character, keep players going. He's just a very like even killed at that like, level-headed player. Yeah, and, 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 and right I think a good point about the argument. He's the type of guy who they can have an argument, and you know that that's more positive. Than, yeah, than it's about basketball. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to be personal. He's not going to be petty and like try to take his own shots and like, look for his own shots or like, take away from someone else. He's very much about I'm here. I want to win. I want to compete. And you can see that in the contract he took. Um, he took a bit of less money than maybe he could have gotten, and that's something I value in a player who does that in the NBA. Because um, I know, I mean. I don't begrudge anyone who wants to get more money, but I really rate players who know they're in a good franchise, who know they're in a good position to win, and they value that more than taking a few extra million, which, to be honest, makes no real big difference when you earn like 100 mil. And he, and, he took the, and he took the extension early as well. Like, yeah, he, he could have waited to restrict the free agency and just tested the market, and he just didn't. He was just humble yeah. and was just like, yo, I'm in a really good position. I'm in a good yeah. organisation. I want to be part of this team. And that's, that's an amazing character thing. Also on him, talk about like third option and stuff. Playoffs this year, on average, he was on 22 points, nearly eight rebounds. Assist and turnover is not a nice balance, but um, that's, that's, that's what you want from a guy, man. And his, his three-point percentage of 36% is a bit misleading because there was just some really poor games which were kind of skewed that a little bit. And then also in the Toronto series, we talk about defensively and his two-way, his two-way potential. Like Everyone clowned Siakam for what he didn't do in that series, but his primary defender for that was Brown. And Siakam's bigger, longer, maybe stronger, and he didn't get any change out of him. Part of his underperformance was Brown's performance. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think he leans more to third option. But his two-way yeah. potential and the flipping growth every year, just, I don't know. Who, ask, ask me in six months and I'll tell you. <laughs> it showed massive growth like his second year started 70 games and obviously last year I believe what Tatum and Kyrie are back or not Tatum and Kyrie are back Hayward and Kyrie are back so he only started 25 games so maybe he saw a drop off in his production but put him back in his position this year he's obviously performing and doing the best he could so yeah I think him and Marcus Smart are both the kind of guys that you love to have in your franchise like they just care about the basketball both fantastic teammates and obviously put the team first and going from that from fantastic teammates to someone who's probably just as good a teammate but Financially, he's a bit of a burden on the boys. Gordon Hayward. He's been re-upping into his contracts because he's got a player option. And me personally, I think he's taking it. Four million reasons why he would take it. 34 million reasons why he would. But even still, <laughs> there's, uh, there's a pair of reasons why he won't. But also, I think a lot of people are maybe, and maybe him and his agent are looking at the fact that 34 million this year isn't quite 34 million. So I'm not an accountant. That's more for hot take hizzy. But the escrow stuff is all to do with 
um, the balancing of what is actually the income for the NBA and what the players get. So they get 49 to 51% of all income. But if that starts going below what's expected at the start where they set out the cap sheet and everything like that, owners are within their rights to just start taking percentages away. Um, add to that the fact that it'll be taxed in Boston, which he wouldn't be in like a, a Florida or a, or a Texas. Um, and 34, all of a sudden, people are saying could become tw- something like 27, 28. Now, he's actually played some of his best basketball this year. He, he broke his hand and he, and he had a foot injury, which really killed our playoffs. Um, but like he's pretty much averaging his stats for the last season in Utah in everything except for points, and that's obviously down to the usage. Um, he still tied his uh, assist highs this year. He still tied his points highs this year. Um, and we were just a much, much, much better team with him in. Rebounds. Yeah, there we go. And, and he just, whatever, sometimes we needed him to go and smash the mid-range, and he did. Sometimes he was popping up in the corner and doing well from three. Sometimes he took on big assignments. Sometimes Kemba played off ball and he was just a primary ball handler, which he was, he was really good at. And that's my worry with these rumours. Um, like the, the, the good thing is the only teams really who have cap space this summer right now is Atlanta, Detroit and New York. He ain't going to any of them barring maybe Atlanta, but again, you're not going to really, if you're signing, if you're Atlanta, you're not signing a 31-year-old geezer when Trey Young's not near his prime for me anyway. So, so yeah, he could still opt in, but then there is the question for the Celtics of, okay, I'm going to opt in for my own security now, but I would like, I'm not going to re-sign next year because apparently he wants out. That's the sort of come from the ringer. Well, the, okay, um, the obvious trade, Thing is always Indiana because it's where he's from but if I'm completely honest I think Miles Turner hasn't really kicked on like we thought he would and if I'm honest apart from the threes and the height I don't see a huge difference for him and Tice there's a difference but not 13 million of a difference um, and then Oladipo is the other one often mentioned which could make salaries work but who knows who knows what he is so Haywood is the maddest thing is Haywood is probably going to tell us how next season goes if he if he opts out entirely, it gets us below the tax, but we can't really replace him with anyone near as good. If he opts out at the end of next year, again, like we're stuck in an awkward kind of trade situation where we have to get rid and what's really there and expiring deal and the chemistry issues. Um, last year, I believe, weirdly enough. Next year, if he, if he leaves at the end of next season, that's his last year after his player, his player option. So I think that'll put you, probably put you in a way better position, to be fair. So you might pray he takes that, actually. I mean, yeah, but then it's, he's actually turned... This is my big thing with him, right? I was going to say, he's actually a really good player. And in terms of like any signing trades or trade deals within his player option, um, and then obviously our cap situation, there's not really much we can get back from considering our... That, that kind of money, yeah. But the problem with him is now, this is... I, Al Horford, I didn't really mind because he was 35, needed, got his bag. Like It frustrated me because I, I loved him as a Celtic. But... You don't want to make the mistake that he did, right? He, he might have all that money, but apparently his family were very settled in Boston, didn't really want to leave. Um, and now he's kind of the joke of the league in terms of contracts. And the first thing everyone's talking with Daryl Morey is how the hell is he going to get rid of Horford? Whereas if he was still at the Celtics now on maybe six million a year less, he'd still be central to a team that would have got out of the East, into the NBA finals, arguably, with Horford in that side. So, yeah, okay, money's great, but... The, the, you need to be careful about these moves. And for me, Haywood, it's not that he owes the franchise because I, I don't say people owe anyone anything necessarily. It's elite sport. I get that. But his coach is the guy who recruited him at 
16 years old, 17 years old. His coach is the guy that developed him through college. And I think people forget after the good season he's had, after he had that leg break where he basically lost two years of his career on max money because the second year he was just a shadow, the coach and the franchise stood by him massively. The, the, the calls to trade him were deafening. He was being forced into the lineup to play through it, even though apparently that pissed off people like Rozier and Morris and Irving and stuff and Brown and stuff like that. So the coach has done right by him the entire time. The franchise have not traded him and given him his max money and stuck by him for the duration of the contract and said, look, we, we believe in Gordon. And also he's probably got teammates that like, have done a lot in his absence that he, he owes a little bit. There's some professional pride there. I feel like he still owes them. Uh, the people that have worked hard for him, that have helped him get back into his game, where honestly, I'd be if I was if I was that way inclined, I would be fuming if he just opted out and wanted to trade. Honestly, I think he'd be. I think much less than Horford, he kind of owes a little team-friendly move. Whether it's like, okay, I want to bounce, but let's sign and trade, mm. or okay, I want to bounce, but I'm going to sign for this year. I mean, you've got me, but let's find a good trade partner. But if he was to opt out. I feel like that would be top, top snakery. Top snakery. I'm not mad at that. I mean, he did, like he said, have his best year in a while. And I think it would be unfair to him to say if he left, he couldn't be a useful addition, like a third option to a team. Because when he joined you guys, he was seen as the big two with Kyrie to come. And maybe one of the young boys will step up in a couple of years, especially, as we always say, in the East. So there was scope for him to do a lot more. Unfortunately, his injury stopped him. But as we saw with our favourite playoff, Pete, like a year for Gordon Hayward might be coming because he had the same injury with his leg, missed almost a year, two years and a half, and came back. And we have a short memory in, in the NBA, but he had a fantastic season just the year before this. And obviously, yeah. he just fell off in the last stage. So who, who's yeah. to say who? And, who, and, I mean, and also, I think if you look at the, the free agents this year, Kay, like. There's no names. There's, there's nah. no names. Um, and I think that's another thing that puts us in a really difficult position in that, let's say he was to bounce, we might get the whole exception because we'd be under the tax then and we could sign someone for about $9 million. Um, If he stays, we still get a mid-level. Sign someone for about five. But who's there? Like the only, the only people who are really good this summer who could leave are kind of like, Bertrand, Gallinari, Rondo. Role players who don't have the same ability he Role has. players who've also, yeah. nowhere near him, but they've also played their way into big money, to be honest, yeah. with people like Jeremy Grant and Tim Hardaway Jr., like decent money. Then like we're looking, it's looking thin in terms of, in terms of uh, what we get. And then the draft, um, the draft is a bit of a mixed bag. Like I think there's some good players in there, but no one that's going to replace his production. So... So it's, it's nervy moments until we don't even know what the, the option dates are yet. Um, Cantor seems like he's opting out, which is fine with me. That's cool. Cheers, Dennis. Um, uh, yeah, but I don't know, boy. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky one. I think with him and a couple savvy draft picks, we could, we could redo what we've done this year and maybe a bit further. But if he was to bounce or trade or whatever, I think it sets us back. Uh, massively yeah. um, and we have to wait another two years for Brown or Tatum to really really dominate and then the draft just becomes massive for us then in a draft which is not amazing it's not stacked yeah it's not great there's some good big guards which I'd like I don't think the I don't think the big man thing is is as um, big as as 
as I've already said, I don't think it's been playing the four and stuff. So yeah, it's not as overstated. Yeah, like it's, it's obviously we don't have like a Yanis and B or a Davis stopper, but who does? Like Rob Williams could come into his own there. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But I don't see any bigs in this draft that are gettable either. Aquangu is really positive looking. But so yeah, let's touch on the draft briefly. Yeah. We've got four picks. Then we've got. Let's see. I believe it's the fourteen. Fourteenth. 26. 26th, 30th and 47th. 47th. So, yeah. I'm hearing rumours that you guys might want to package them up and maybe move up the draft. But um, in a draft class this week, I'm not sure many teams are going to be up for that. Unless yeah, and also, them. If, you, if you actually look at who's there, who we could move up with, like, we're not moving up to the top four. Um, Cleveland, I think, need a bit more quality around sort of Garland and Sexton, they're young guys, but I don't think they're going to drop down as far as, as we like them to. Atlanta already have lots of young players. They don't need quantity. They need a bit more quality. You get into the kind of Detroit and New York people and you think maybe, maybe if the, if the price is right for them, where we could get up to seven or eight, but that's, that's optimistic, to be honest. And then you after could that... You New York a bag full of oxygen, mate. You might as well try yeah, I don't know, bro. It's it's uh it's not looking likely. And then to be honest, fourteen is okay. Like I think there's some there's some big guards in there that I like. I like Tyrese Halliburton if he was to drop that low. Um, I like um there's some other sort of big wings that are decent. Sadiq Bay, Patrick Williams, they they look nice. They can all kind of contribute up and down, and they can shoot and stuff. There's some really good like shooters in terms of Naismith and Vassell and. Maxi's stats aren't great, but apparently people back him as a good shooter. But the 26, 30, 47 is just a complete lottery. Like, who even knows yeah. what we get with that? So if we could maybe get rid of some of them for next year or the year after, I'll be happy with that. But, but we have to smash the draft because we need bench scoring. We might need a Hayward replacement. And we might need some size if we lose Cantor. So we do need to smash this draft. And I think the Hayward decision really sends us in different directions uh, based on what we are as a franchise for the next few years because of the money invested in Kemba and because of that we won't be able to really go for any free agents next year where there's some good ones Haywood's got a lot on him man Haywood's got a lot yeah. to say about this franchise what are your thoughts Nii, on the Haywood situation what do you think um, the Haywood situation I mean like there's like a million options now isn't it? I mean like I mean, if he stays do you guys move up the draft and try and draft like a guard like, like I was hearing with like Killian Hayes Kenny um, Hayes looks really good. He's mm. 6'5", he's long, he's a really good playmaker, he can defend, but I don't see him being ready at 14. That's the only thing. I don't even see him ready out of the top six, to be honest. I think he'll go quite early. That's fair enough. And that's what I'm saying. Like, there's no like, standout in the draft. And even those that stand out in the top three, if you want to make like, some big like, move up, I mean, they don't really stand out as players who are going to impact your winning now. Um, and then if you look outside of the draft, and say he does get like a silent trade Hayward, I don't see many options out there now that drastically improve you. So I personally wouldn't, just that touch on earlier as to what I was saying, I personally wouldn't make any big moves now or rush because I think the Celtics are good. You guys are pretty settled. You've got a really solid team. And I wouldn't say I envy you guys, but it kind of like throws me back to how the Warriors were 2014. You've got three solid pieces there in Tatum, Smart, and Brown is almost akin to how we had Steph and we've got Clay and we've got Draymond. I mean, it's maybe not on the same level, but I mean... And also we don't really have Steph there. on some bargain bin contract because of you his don't, ankle. You don't, yeah, 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 you don't. Yeah, yeah, you don't, unfortunately. But I'm well, just saying that you guys... Bad ankles. 
maybe, man. You need to work in magic maybe this season. I guess it's your big move this year. Break some ankles. But um, yeah, I mean, you guys got like a really like, sort of core. And I wouldn't do anything to like, disrupt that right now. And I wouldn't make any moves that would jeopardize your future. I would just kind of play it out. Um, maybe for the next two years, and then, and then you never know. You might get like a big free agency. Um, you might find yourself in a situation like the Warriors where you stick with your core and then, and then you get someone like KD that comes along. I mean, like no one saw that coming. No one in their right mind thought KD would ever move to Warriors, but you, you, you never know with the NBA. And like, even last year with the Raptors, um, they got Kawhi. There wasn't really anyone expecting them to push for the championship. But then you get the freak injuries to Golden State in the finals. They kind of like modelled their way through in the Eastern Conference. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the Celtics now are good enough to stay competitive. And if something crazy happens, they could push for a title or maybe even win the title if some freak situation happens. And if not, you chill for the next two years and then you make a big move. I love, big our, I love our knees somehow found a, a, a two-minute segment on a Celtics podcast to uh, <laughs> reminisce about the Golden State I'm, glory years. That is, I, I, that's I, a dynasty, agree, man. <laughs> I agree in some sense because, like you said, they had their core three and the only thing that kind of changed for them that made them the champions that they were was the coaching. And they changed Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr. And obviously, Brad Stevens is twice the coach Mark Jackson is. And he's probably maybe part of Steve Kerr in a sense, obviously minus the championships. So one we might say is maybe Brad Stevens, that development coach who puts you guys in the right position, then in a year or two, you get a new coach in and takes to the title? Or do you think he's probably still the guy for you to take you all the way? It's, it's a tough one with Stevens because you do start to wonder how many, okay, there's the LeBron factor. And then, you know, this year, no Haywood and everything like that. But you do start, to, and then Kyrie just ruining everything last year. But you do start to wonder whether the Eastern Conference losses are where he can get them to. Um, it's three and four years now with different rosters um, and different main options. It's a weird one with Brad Stevens. He's obviously a very good coach. He's obviously very well revered. Popovich reveres him. Nurse and Spolstra revere him. Steve Kerr reveres him. Uh, Frank Vogel worked with him for a long time, reveres him. Um, and, and to have that sort of impact despite only a few, not a few years in the league, he's, he's relatively experienced now in the league, but a lot of that was spent rebuilding. Um, you only have that if you deserve it, right? And he's very good after timeouts and he draws up good plays and defensively he improves players. There's no doubt about that. Um, but there is just this, this thing where you see him again. I mean, I think Nurse and Spolstra relatively outcoached him this year. Um, and gave him defensive schemes that he just couldn't work out. And I think you you sort of see teams be made in the image of their coaches a little bit. And he's he's cool and calculated the entire time. But in a competitive sport, a men's game, you almost sometimes just want a bit more fire and a bit more um, personality to come out, especially against Toronto. Nick Nurse was winning calls for them by himself. Um, and we don't have the vets like the, that the Lakers do to, to bring that out onto the court. You might say, oh, Frank Vogel was very quiet. And yeah, cool, because he has LeBron and Rondo running a dressing room. McGee, Howard, you've got all these vets. We don't have that. We just don't. Um, so you do need, at least now, for him to maybe manage the squad a little bit differently and manage, not like a dictator, because I like that he gives so much ownership to the players. Players clearly like playing for him. Um, even Kyrie kind of 
apologised and, and said it wasn't Stephen's fault why things didn't go the way they did. So players like to play for him, but you do sort of wonder, like you said, whether he is the coach to take us close and then somebody else maybe come in and just and just uh, finish it off. But then, like, look, we have young players and we have a relatively young coach and I don't see the problem with them growing together so much. Um, I do like Brad Stevens a lot, even if he is, like, a bit of a geek and, like, he reads all their management <laughs> books. And I'm happy with him for now. Some of his rotations are a little bit mad. Like, he'll go small at random times and then he'll kind of throw things out there that you wonder if they're just desperate or creative and you're not sure which one it is. But, but no, nah, Stevens is a good coach. Stevens is a very good coach. I mean, Bottom line is, there's no one I'd really swap him for, um, considering yeah, our roster, yeah. and I think that's big. So, so yeah, good. But I feel like he's got the pressure on now. He's got Tatum's max coming up and Brown's max starting, and I think over the next two years they'll start start to see right. Is this the guy that's going to get me a chip? So yeah. that's going to be interesting how he manages their increasing expectations. I think they'll grow together as well, like you were saying. Like the one thing that didn't push them over to you guys over the edge this year was just down to experience. Like end of the day, like Miami had some vets around them. They had a Jay Crowder. He's probably not as good as your players, but he had. They have those vets there. They have Iggy coming off the bench. They have Horan, who was still fit that series. So yeah, I think experience pushed them over the edge. And as you guys get older, there'll be more experience. And same with Stevens as well. You kind of learn what kind of works best for you, and then maybe not rotate as much because. You've clear, you're clearly good enough. You've been to the conference finals, what, three of the last four years, if that, I think. so. Yeah. But this oh. is the thing, man, and this is the, the lasting thing, and this is where I don't know where I'm... You said, yeah, we're growing together, and then me said, hold off for two years, but, like, the Raptors do not regret what they did for that one year, and I feel like the NBA's at a place now where medium to long-term planning, I don't know anymore if that's what the league suits or or... or encourages so I don't know I don't know maybe we'll buck that trend but it's it's rare you don't it's rare you don't have a top five guy and win nowadays and it's rare that cycles of teams really last so who knows we'll see maybe we're trying to buck that trend but I am getting a bit antsy about this if, if Hayward is to go if Kemba doesn't perform again that sets us back man and and players might see their careers as a bit short to be set back so we'll see what happens but I'm looking forward to it though I think I think, like you said, the, the consistency is not a bad thing. And I do love this team. This team are a really good watch, man. Yeah, and, um, yeah for sure. And, and it's a good roster and a good coach and, and a good culture around the team. So regular season, just to run it off, is probably like a B plus. But then the playoffs, it, it does feel like a missed opportunity, man. It really does. Considering where how many different ways we could pivot this summer and next, it does feel like we should have got to those finals at least. But hey, on to, on to December 22nd now. Yep. And on that note, guys, thank you very much, obviously, for joining us today. Like, Nee, obviously, thanks for your very balanced opinions today. And, yeah, I'm not going to angry Celtics fan, but there's, 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 some, there's some light in the tunnel. All right, we'll see something at the end, hopefully. Inshallah. Well, and you didn't even manage to rattle me. A Laker fan didn't do that. I was pretty <laughs> right, listen, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm here for a good time. And rattling you didn't, didn't think I'd get the best out of you for that. So, once again, guys, thanks for being part of the podcast up, man. today. Um, to our subscribers and listeners, obviously, please follow our Twitter and YouTube for the content there and we'll be back next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.